leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Agenus is an immuno-oncology company with a long history and a broad portfolio. To help fund its pipeline, it entered into a significant alliance with Gilead Sciences in December 2018 and has used an unusual funding mechanism by raising money through what it described as the first asset-based digital security offering. We spoke to John Castle, head of translational medicine and bioinformatics at Agenus, about the company's approach to managing and prioritizing its pipeline, its use of artificial intelligence, and the recent deals it's done to fund development. John, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Danny, for having me today. We're going to talk about Agenus Cancer Immunotherapies and, and some of the recent deals the company has done to advance its pipeline. Agenus seems to be pursuing a, a wide range of technologies. Perhaps you can begin by giving some coherence to that. How do you describe Agenus and, and where does it fit into the world of cancer therapies today? Well, thanks, thanks for the question. Um, you know, Agenus really is one of the older immunotherapy companies. And the focus has been not only on the tumor cell, but on the immune cell and the interactions between the, the immune system and the tumor since its inception uh, over two decades ago. And there's an inherent recognition that uh, there's going to have to be an engagement of, of the immune system to defeat and to kill the tumor cells. And that's been one of our guiding principles as, as we've moved forward. The company uh, really has taken a multi-pronged approach looking at both vaccines, antibodies, um, biospecifics, and cell therapy most recently as well in our subsidiary uh, agendas. And so we're able to bring those different technology platforms together really in very exciting uh, ways that have just not been possible before. One of the things that I've been focusing on is how can we integrate different uh, data sets and different uh, knowledge bases together uh, in a way that can help us develop our drugs and guide the therapeutic potential for the patients. Uh, some of the things that we've noticed is that the existing processes uh, are really designed to collect uh, biological and physiological and clinical data from patients that only enable us to gain limited insight into uh, what's going on and what's happening. And so one of the approaches we've taken is to go and say, are there 
other ways of looking at the problem and, and break it down in a very fundamental way and, and into tractable modules, both on the, the data acquisition side and uh, the machine learning side as well. The company was actually founded in 1994 as Antigenics. Your registration statement from 1999 describes the business as a cancer immunotherapy company. It's my own, own ignorance that I didn't realize you were around that long. But what's happened in the intervening years? How, how has the company evolved? That's a great question. And that's really uh, the foresight of our of our founder uh, and current CEO, Garmin Armin, just really identified back then, like you pointed out, no one was talking about cancer immunotherapy uh, back then. People thought it was crazy. I mean, how could you focus so much on, on the immune system and, um, and the tumor uh, when everyone else was just focused on, on the patient's tumor? One of those things over that time is that the, the recognition that we can indeed modulate the immune system, and both we can increase the strength, the virulence of the immune system, and we can educate it uh, in ways that just uh, weren't possible two decades ago. And so what we've been able to do is, uh, if I get back to the, uh, the, the AI focus, one of um, my, my babies, if you will, uh, is that over the last decade, and this is something that couldn't be done in 1994, um, but companies like Google, they put together fundamentally new data sets based on monitoring what you click. Uh, Amazon monitors what you buy, they monitor what I buy, and then they put that together and they use their AI engine in the background to drive value. In the same way, if, if you use Waze, you know, it tracks where, where you're driving and how fast you're driving, and it's able to use that information to add value and forecasts when, when I want to go someplace else, it, it makes a projection as to what the best route it's going to be. And what in each of those cases was done was that the, the founders recognized the, the value of these data sets and looking at the problem in different ways. And so Agenis has been evolving to now focus on this um, interaction with the immune system and the tumor cells. And so what we've been able to do then is look at the problem differently, to break it down, and to really say, okay, can we, for one example, quantify an immune fitness measure of a patient? And that's going to help us decide what's the right therapy for a patient, what's the right combinations of therapies, are there new targets, and then get those to the patients in a really fast, cost-effective way. If you if you're interested, I could give a few examples of that. Sure, please. One of the, the metaphors I use sometimes is when I think about the, particularly the T cell, because that's uh, a lot of our focus goes on the T cell and how it's able to, or what happens when it encounters a ca cancer cell. And, and one of the things I think about sometimes is if you can imagine it as, let's say, Clint Eastwood or, or Rambo <clears throat> coming into uh a bar full of tumor cells, and you know, Rambo's going to come in, he's going to be jazzed, he's going to be uh, killing, destroying those tumor cells one after the other, but then he is at some point going to get tired and, and become exhausted, dysfunctional, fall flat on his face at some point. And really the question, one of the questions is, is there a way that you can maintain that, that killing Rambo phenotype and 
you know, is it giving him a Coke at some time, giving him a double espresso, or is it a Red Bull? Is it a combination of the double espresso and the Red Bull? And that's going to sustain his killing potential. And so um, what we've been able to do, is, and Rambo is, in our case, a T-cell, and you know, looking at how a T-cell is going to be interacting with cancer cells. And some of my colleagues, Thomas Horn and others, have really made fundamentally new assays where they can measure, uh, if we go back to Rambo, if you were measuring the, the heartbeat, you've got the heart monitor, the blood pressure, uh, the oxygen in the blood. In a similar way, we're able to look at T cells and see if you introduce a T cell into or in with several tumor cells, it's going to start killing the first one, the second one, third tumor cell. It's going to keep killing, but at some point it's going to become dysfunctional and exhausted. What Thomas was able to do was to design an assay where we're able not to look at just one time point, because many people have done that, but to design a system where he can look longitudinally at multiple time points along the path and watch these T cells as they come in with that killer phenotype to when they become exhausted and dysfunctional. Being able to use uh, next-generation sequencing, functional assays, cytokines, flow cytometry at those different time points make snapshots as to what's going on, and then to make enough snapshots to be able to define a movie showing the T-cell comes in and, and how it evolves uh, from this, this fantastic state where it's eradicating tumor cells to an exhausted state. Now, what we can do with those data, with those proprietary data, is we can go back and we can examine them and say, okay, what are the programs that are going on in the T-cell? What, what other molecule of our drugs can we give to it to the, the equivalent of the Red Bull, to give it that pep and get it psyched up again. And looking at our armamentarium of, of molecules that we have uh, and see which of those provides the, the pep, which combinations synergize and reinvigorate the T-cell. Again, you can imagine if you give it too early, you know, it's not going to have much of a benefit. Um, if you give it too late, if, if the T-cell is already exhausted, you may give it a heart attack, and it's still it's not going to rescue the, the dead T-cell. Um, and so you have to find that right time and right sequence and right combination. He's also been able to identify new uh, bispecific candidates uh, and finally identify new biomarkers so when we're actually looking at patients, we'll be able to identify what is the right drug and what is the right time for that, that right drug. And so that's just one example of how we're using uh, the combination of uh, new platforms and big data in, in ways that weren't possible back in, in the 90s. Um, so your your AI platform, which you call Alps, I, I think this is an R&D platform. H how unique is it, and what exactly is Agenis doing that's different than what we're seeing other companies do? That's an excellent question because there's there's enormous competition and there's enormous data sets out there. Uh, you're probably aware of some of the, the publicly funded tumor profiling data sets like TCGA, the fantastic resource. We've integrated that and we use it all the time. Um, what we've done is to be able to take these other platforms and integrate those data sets with the, the immuno aspect. So how is the T cell working? How is, uh, what is its state? What is it recognizing? So when we think about immune fitness, 
uh, we think about the strength of the T cell, how, how jazzed it is, and also what it's able to see, uh, how it's able to recognize neoantigens on the tumor cell. And that integration of, of the data is then used both, in, as you point out, in the preclinical research focus, but also as we move more and more of our molecules into clinical trials, we're making sure both that we access the right, analyze the right biosamples, and we have the, the profiling platforms in place to be able to get the measurements to see is, is the drug working, is the mechanism of action correct, and better identify what are the right patients and right indications that we should be uh, addressing as we move the molecules forward. Uh, one, assay, or one aspect is the, the phenotype of the T cell, the state that it's in, but also another aspect is really understanding the interaction between uh, the T cell receptor peptide MHC. I think of this as what can the immune system see on a tumor cell? And so first, we spent a lot of time identifying the aberrations that are present in the tumor cells. So what makes a tumor cell different than your normal cell cells, often called what's non-self about a tumor cell? That uh, often, these, these neoantigens come out or come from mutations of the DNA. They can come from misphosphorylation. We've been able to integrate a whole series of algorithms, some of which we've developed, some of which we've taken best of breed externally, into a workflow that then identifies what the, the tumor cell, a patient's own tumor cell, is presenting on the HLA alleles of that tumor cell for examination by the T cells. Now, I sometimes think of this when it's the baseball season starting right now, so I think about it in terms of like a hot dog sitting in a bun, where the HLA allele is the, the bun that's presenting the peptide, the, the epitope, and the, the hot dog that's sitting there is that, that peptide that's being presented on the cell surface. So we're able to examine that, that tumor cell very uh, exquisitely and predict with a good degree of accuracy what's being presented for uh, consideration, evaluation by the T cells. Now, the, the flip side is understanding what's going on with the, the T cells because each of us has a, a repertoire of T cells that reflect our uh, our experiences, our genetics, what viruses we've experienced in the past have all shaped what our T cells can see and, and how accurately they see it. And so we, we've been able, if you will, the, the T cell receptor on the, on the T cell is almost like the, the mouth and the tongue that's coming down to taste the, the hot dog in the bun. And so we've spent a lot of time understanding the dynamics between uh, neoantigen presentation and the neoantigen recognition by the T cell receptor. It's a fascinating field that now we're able to use new technologies, uh, including single-cell sequencing, to look at the, the alpha-beta chain of the T-cell receptor to identify what's adding that, that specificity to the interaction. So what can the, the T-cell receptor alpha-beta chain see, uh, and then how specifically and how accurately can they see this? One of my colleagues, Dennis Underwood, just is amazing at how he's able to model this in ways that um, weren't possible uh, previously. And so we're able to then identify how can we make a T-cell receptor 
that's going to be exquisitely sensitive and specific for that neoantigen that's presented, uh, again, the, um, the hot dog that's being presented in the bun on the surface of the tumor cell. We can use this information in a couple different ways. One is that we've been able to make cutting-edge, bleeding-edge vaccines, both what we call warehouse vaccines that look at shared neoantigens. Some of these are phosphorylated peptides that are uh, shared by many different uh, tumors, and so we can make a warehouse vaccine that we use, uh, and as we move forward later this year, we'll be testing clinically um, these, these vaccines. At the same time, we're able to look at the mutations in the tumor cell and then make a custom vaccine that really targets those individual neoantigens present in that specific tumor cell, which, which is, when we think about it, how crazy is that, that we can make a therapeutic approach that for one patient and only one patient, this has been one of my, my babies for the last decade, to move this for the, the mutinome approach. And finally, with the knowledge of the T-cell receptor that recognizes those neoantigens, we can take it into a new dimension that if the patient's immune fitness is too weak, going back to the, the Clint Eastwood, the Rambo, if all those fighters are missing and the patient's immune system is, is compromised, we can actually supplement the patient's immune system with an adoptive cell therapy approach where we put in T-cells that recognize these neoantigens, and they're going to go out and they're going to hunt those tumor cells down and recognize them and kill them. I think if anyone looks at your pipeline, they'd be struck by the broad approach you're taking, which includes immunotherapies, cell therapies, off-the-shelf vaccines, personalized vaccines, uh, and, and by specifics. How do you think about the right modality for the right cancer? And is there a risk in, in trying to be expert in all these different approaches? So my personal opinion is that there's an incredible synergy at all levels across the board to address your second question. When I talk about what's being presented, I'm usually first thinking about a vaccine if I think about what's being recognized, I'm thinking about a T-cell or TCR, adoptive cell therapy approach. It's all the same system, what's being presented and what's being recognized. On a preclinical basis, uh, you need the same algorithms. You need the same mindset. On a clinical level, we can play these uh, therapeutic approaches off of each other. We can vaccinate recovered T-cells. Um, and we can use them in, in different ways that people previously hadn't thought about. The same ways when we think about the modalities of the vaccines and the antibodies, vaccines are going to need help. They're going, as a monotherapy, you can show that they're safe and you get an immune response, but we're really going for that tumor control. And that's most likely going to come only when we have the antibody to combine it with. Fantastic, so that we have, as you pointed out, these different antibodies and biospecifics that in increase the priming, they enhance the T cells, they help modify the, the, the TME, the tumor microenvironment, they get rid of the regulatory T cells. And so, for, with all these approaches, 
it's daunting <laughs> to get to your first question. What's going to be the right indication? What's going to be the right development path as we move these forward? But that's where the opportunity lies, the synergy at the clinical level as well. My group, the, the translational group, is really working to identify where we want to move some of these assets and what might be good indication. If you think or if we know that the mechanism of action is Treg depletion, we're going to identify patients with tumors that have Tregs. Makes sense, doesn't it? Um, at the same time, it's been a, just a pleasure to work with our clinical development team as they look through these strategies and see both where the unmet medical need is, where patients really need these. And as the whole field of advances, we haven't seen a, the silver bullet yet. And so these patients are in desperate need after their first therapies. What's going to be the next line? What can we combine with standard of care? And so that's where I, again, I just have fantastic colleagues that are able to, to move these drugs forward. Your two lead candidates are both immune modulating antibodies, AGN1884 is a CTLA-3 antagonist, and AGN2034 is a, a PD-1 antagonist. What indications are you pursuing, and, and what do you know about these therapies to date from clinical studies? Really good questions, and, and uh this would be um, our COO, Jennifer Buell, would do a, a fantastic job describing uh, where we are right now. Both of the molecules, these are what we call our foundational molecules. These are, we know that uh, the target's been validated. Uh, both of these targets, we're moving forward rapidly with both of them in studies, for example, in second-line uh, cervical carcinoma where we have an opportunity to really benefit those patients with uh, both the anti-PD-1, so a Genus 2034, and the combination of a Genus 2034 with Agent 1884. And so there's a unique opportunity there to help these patients and to, to gain approval rapidly. Uh, the company uh, has, has done some interesting deals, and I just wanted to touch on that, even though you're a translational medicine guy. But first, in December, the company announced a significant partnership with Gilead that included a $120 million upfront payment as well as a $30 million equity investment. How are you working with Gilead, and what's the company agreed to deliver? So Gilead's just it's been a fantastic partner. Um, they really have a mindset that, similar to ours, they're excited about immunotherapy. We're working together uh, to advance our compounds forward. It's an exciting uh, space right now. It's really a win-win that we view that we can provide innovation and work with them. They're excited about it. And, and we're moving the molecules forward. And so that's been just a, it's been an incredible spark that's increased uh, our excitement internally. And, and what, what does the company actually have to deliver? How many molecules does this involve? This is uh, a really good question. And I would refer you to our business development team that has okay. just done a great job defining the, the path forward. So one of the other issues companies face um, is financing a, a growing pipeline, which is always a challenge. I know you, um, the company 
recently embarked on, on an interesting uh, financing strategy by, by selling rights to the public to individual molecule. Uh, what exactly did the company do and how does that work? I'll give a, I'll give a high-level summary. Um, what we've been able to do is really identify ways of, as you said, alternative funding, non-dilutive funding. What we've been able to put together is what we call BEST, the Biotech Electronic Security Token. Uh, this is it's a novel financial instrument for right now. It's for accredited investors to invest in specific uh, products. What we're using it for today is to finance expanded development of our late stage anti PD one antibody. Uh, this is the agent twenty thirty four. It incorporates blockchain technology. It's not a cryptocurrency, but it increases or it incorporates blockchain and distributed ledger technology. And really, the goal is, is that it's designed to decrease the cost of capital uh, for current equity holders. We'll be able to use that funding to really be more aggressive in our development uh, of the molecule, which should, uh, which the aim is to achieve higher revenues early by using it. Um, it's fascinating. It's really, I think, another aspect where we're looking at how can we bring innovation across the entire development pathway? How can we, not only in, in biotech, but in fintech uh, as well? And so getting those drugs developed faster, increasing revenue stream, and getting them ultimately to the patient uh, faster and at a lower cost. Is this a financing strategy you think the company might do again? And, and would you expect other companies to follow? It's it's exciting and it's very interesting. Um, yes, and so I think there are future possibilities. John Castle, Head of Translational Medicine and Bioinformatics at Agenis. John, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.